You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. All right, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. I'm Justin McKeldry. I'm the campus pastor at our Los Alamitos campus, the Branch Church. Um, so some of you know me because you've been coming here for years, and others of you, it's great to see so many familiar faces and new faces. So it's great to be with you this morning. Um, this uh, picture here is my brother Jordan and his lovely wife Haley and their son Cecil. Um, my brother and I are almost 10 years apart. In case you can't tell, I'm the older one, just in case you needed help with that. Um, <laughs> And I have the greatest respect and admiration for who he has become as a man. But as a kid, man, he was a hassle. Like he was, um, you know, who's more annoying than a younger brother? And you can ask my daughters, there's nobody that just isn't. Um, And so actually, I had a friend who would stay over at my house once or twice a week. He was a couch surfer. And so um, this, that cartoon there, well, I've already told I'm the older one. So is pushing 30 years old that it's been on my mom's refrigerator. And it has... Justin and mom, and then the two little kids are Scott, my friend, and um, Jordan, my brother. And then it says at the bottom, uh-oh, now we've done it, because they're just, mom and dad are fed up with the kids bickering and fighting and all of that. And so, and since Scott was far more antagonistic towards my brother than I was, that became something that she put for all of us to see. Family life is hard, and sibling life is hard as well. Um, I remember reading Psalm 133 through the years, and in fact, I just want to read it to you now because it's short. It says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And when I would read that years ago, I would think that is the weirdest psalm there is, like, what's the deal with all the oil, and is it really that big a deal that brothers dwell in unity? Then I went on a road trip with my kids, and oh my goodness, it's become my life verse, because um, (laughs) you get stuck in a car for 20 hours with kids fighting. I I get it now. So family life is hard. Uh, That's why we're doing this series, The Beauty in Our Crazy Family, and remember that we're widening that out. It's not just who lives in our house, but our church family, our friends, our extended family, that there's, it, things can get crazy at times, but there's beauty in there. And today we're going to open up some wounds, and we're going to wrestle with an issue that all of us need to face in significant human relationships, and it's the issue of forgiveness. Our title today is Forgiveness is Key, and it is, if we're to keep from becoming embittered and divided in those relationships that mean most to us. And the other thing about forgiveness is that it's really hard, right? It's really challenging. And so, um, but we can't have meaningful and close relationships without being able to offer and receive forgiveness. So forgiveness is indeed key. And sometimes forgiveness is just small everyday things, just you overlook something, you forgot something. We all do it, no big deal. But other times there's forgiveness that's needed at almost a supernatural level. It's just this huge transaction that I can't quite get my arms around. And in some ways, I pray I never have to. Um, but I have a video for you that I found this week um, that I, I found powerful, and I, I, I think you will as well. Nassim Fahim was a guard at the church in Egypt that ISIS attacked with suicide bombers on Palm Sunday. This is an interview, two minutes, just two-minute interview with his widow. And it is her expressing forgiveness 
and then the response of the, the news anchor. It's like a morning show there, and it's, it's powerful. So we'll pick up after the video. Go ahead and roll that, guys. أقباط مصر مصنوعين من فولاذ أقباط مصر مئات السنين بيتحملوا كوارث ومصايب كتيرة القبط المصري يعشق تراب بلده القبط المصري يتحمل كل شيء عشان وطنه وإيه كمية التسامح اللي عندكوا دي لو أعداءكوا يعرفوا قد انتم متسامحين بجد ما كانش حد يصدق ده انا لو ابويا والله ما اقول كده ابدا الناس دي عندها كميه تسامح عن حق عن عقيده دول بني ادمين والله مصنوعين من ماده ثانيه الله يرحمه عم نسيم بطل وشهيد ومثل اعلى للي قاعد كل واحد في البلد دي يقول لك هي البلد دي ايه والبلد دي ماشيه ازاي؟ البلد دي ماشيه كده. البلد دي ماشيه بالصبر بالجلد بالتحمل بالست العظيمه دي بالعيال اللي خلف ما ماتش ضرباهم وعمل رجاله. The headline that caught my eye to get me to check out that video was that on live TV, 12 seconds is an eternity of silence. And he was just gathering his thoughts. It's a stunning testimony. And when I see that, I think, my goodness, would I be up to that? And I think that's the kind of thing we never know until we have to face it. But one thing we do know is that we're equipped with the same stuff. Not the same stuff, the, the same spirit. The spirit that has empowered her to have this tremendous amount of forgiveness is the same spirit that lives in each one of us if we've trusted Christ. So how do we get to that place? How do we walk closely enough that something like that could conceivably become a reality? Now, my prayer is that none of us are ever put in that situation. But my hope is that it can inspire us to maybe figure out how we can for, learn to forgive in some of our maybe less pressing situations. Maybe the challenging situation that we're dealing with right now or the one that's been lingering for a long time. We're going to look at maybe some things we can, can think about and do and maybe some steps to put into place, but we have a more important foundation that needs to take most of our time. 
And it's not a step, it's actually a worldview. It's a, it's a, it's a foundational truth that I want to leave you with this morning. And if you don't track with anything else I say, I want you to get this this morning. And it's this, we can't always know God's plan, but we can always trust it. We can't always know God's plan, but we can always trust it. And you may be thinking, how, what in the world does that have to do with forgiveness? Like, that's two different discussions, but I'm not going to tell you how it, I'm in, how it, how it relates. I'm going to actually let um, Joseph, he is the victim of the second most horrendous sibling rivalry in the Bible. Uh, Abel, Cain and Abel took the, took the title last week. But before I do that, let's pray. Father, we are opening up a difficult issue this morning. It's really... We like the idea of forgiveness, but it's harder to actually extend um, when it comes down to it. And sometimes when we know that this is something that we're wrestling with, we want to put barriers up, we want to put walls up, we, we don't want to hear what you have to say because it might mean we need to, need to take some steps that are difficult. And so, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts this morning, that you would open our ears, that you would open our eyes, and that you would show us uh, how you want us to move forward, how you want us to grow um, in such a way that we are able to forgive those who have harmed us. That's a supernatural work, and we need you to intervene. So be with us this morning, and may we leave differently than the way we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, I don't know if Mike still does this, but occasionally he would complain, because I, I don't come here as often, but he would, he would, he'll complain about me giving him too much text to teach, because I kind of do the teaching schedules. So I just want you to know, we're covering 14 chapters today. So if, he, if you hear any more of that, my email's on there, say he complained about text length. Um, so go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 37. We're covering all of Joseph, so obviously we're going to be moving. If you don't have a Bible and you want to try to follow along, if you're up for the challenge, go ahead and raise your hand and the ushers will be glad to bring you a loaner and just leave it on your seat there. Now, Joseph was the favored son of Jacob. Now, it's not just being like the favorite son, one out of two, like my brother. It's actually being the favorite son, one out of 12. So this is a pretty big deal. Jacob spoiled him. He had this Technicolor dream coat, all of that. Okay, so that right off has him on a bad foot. But then Joseph has a couple dreams where his brothers and his parents actually bow down to him. And he thinks this is a good idea to tell people. That's what we call low emotional intelligence, right? Um, so... Uh, so he's, you know, he's not helping himself here. So then one day his brothers are out grazing the flocks and Jacob sends Joseph to go check on him. Another reason not to like him. He's the snitch too. So they're finally just saying, we're done with this. We're going to kill him. Now they, they decide to dial it back a little bit and they sell Joseph into slavery and he ends up in Egypt. They take his fancy jacket, they dip it in blood, they show this to Jacob. Jacob thinks he's dead. He's, he's undone by that, but he's actually in slavery. Now, while he's in slavery, he becomes an exemplary servant in the home of one of Pharaoh's officials. Everything he does prospers, and, and he has the run of the house. He catches the eye of his, this official's wife. She tries to seduce him. He actually physically flees the premises, and so he's framed for trying to assault her. So now he's in jail. Now that he's in jail, he flourishes in prison as well, just like he did at the official's house. And so opportunity knocks again. He, he's, he's, he's the the cupbearer and the baker are two guys who are in jail with him. They start having some dreams. And Joseph says, well, you know, God can give you the interpretation to those, so let me help. And so he does. And then he says, 
did things didn't end well for the baker, so he couldn't get help from him. But the cupbearer, he says, when you get restored back to your position, would you remember me so I can get out of here? Um, and so he doesn't. He forgets. And so Joseph's in jail for two more years. So then Pharaoh has a dream, and then the, then the cupbearer's like, oh, yes, I remember this guy. Um, thank you, two years later. And so he goes, and, and now Joseph gets called up to the bigs, and he gets to interpret the dream. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, so plan accordingly. And Pharaoh says, you seem to know what's going on here. You seem to be a sharp guy, so why don't you go ahead and, um, and take care of this and, you know, so that I can keep golfing and stuff, I guess. I don't know. But, but so he is, Joseph's in charge. And then the fam, seven years, he's gathering everything up, gathering everything up, gathering everything up. And then the famine hits, and it hits hard. And so, and, it, and it's not just Egypt. And so in time, Jacob sends 10 of his boys down to Egypt um, because he's protecting Benjamin. That's his new favorite. And so all of a sudden, they came strolling into town, and Joseph's like, oh, looky here. Who, look who has showed up here. Um, and so they don't recognize him. He hassles them a little bit, but ultimately he sends them away with free food, which is very benevolent of him. But the famine persists. And so Jacob says, you guys need to go get more food. And they said, we can't, get, we, we can't go because this guy was really rough with us. And, and he said, bring your brother or you're not getting anything else from me. So he relents. He sends all 11 of them down now because Joseph wants to make sure they didn't take Benjamin out as well. So jo Joseph's overcome with emotion. He prepares this feast for his brothers. He sends them back with some food, but he hides his goblet in Benjamin's sack. And so Joseph frames Benjamin at this point and says, oh, we're gonna, I'm going to have to keep this one because he's a thief. And so Judah, who is largely a knucklehead throughout this story, shows tremendous growth where he says, okay, he's dad's favorite. I'll stay and send him. And at this point, Joseph loses it. He's overcome with emotion. It's time for the reveal. He says, everybody out. I think that's the ancient equivalent of move that bus or whatever. But he says, you guys got to go, right? And, and then he reveals himself to his brothers. He says, guys, it's me. Now, can you imagine what it would be like if you sold your brother into slavery and if you um, told your dad he was dead and then you find yourself at his mercy? You'd be thrilled to see him, right? Yeah, of course. And his brothers were, if we throw the next verse up there. Um, but his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. No kidding. Because he's got all the power. So what's he going to do? Uh, screenwriter Robert McKee says, the ending of a story should give the listeners what they want, but not what they expect. Now, I don't know about that because... If I'm hearing this story for the first time, the way I watch movies, I want the good guy to stick it to the bad guy every time, right? But what this story gives me is the ending I didn't know I wanted, but it's beautiful, and it certainly isn't expected. He forgives him. And the foundation of the forgiveness isn't based on, oh, it was just a youthful indiscretion. We all make mistakes. They sold him into slavery, all of them together. It wasn't, a, oh, I know you didn't mean it. It was a big deal. Now, he was able to forgive based on a worldview that we can't always know God's plan, but we can always trust it. And just so you know, I'm not making that up. We'll see it in the text. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, 
but God. That's tremendous. And then from there, they go back to get Jacob and bring him back. Say, hey, let's come on back. Things are good here. I'm in charge. I'll get you guys a nice place. Um, and and this, I, it's not often that I laugh out loud when I read the Bible, but this one's funny. I'm pretty sure it's funny. Chapter 45, verse 24. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. And just, you know, since I know what you guys do, I think that's gold there. Um, so they go up, they bring Jacob back down, um, everything's going well, and then eventually Jacob dies. So Psalm 33 wasn't written at this point, but the brothers are thinking, Joseph's just been playing nice until, until dad dies, and then we're in big trouble. Then he's going to really get us. Um, so they make up a lie. They say, dad said you have to forgive us when he dies. And listen to Joseph's response. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. That's steel. That's a different substance as we were looking at that video earlier. And so we know what happened. My question, and far more interesting question, is how? How does this woman that we watched in that video, how does she do that? How does Joseph go from, from being who he was to being able to do this? And for our sakes, how do we? And I think there are some helpful steps, but there's a critical mindset, a critical foundation that we can't always know God's plan, but we can always trust it. And so we have the facts, but what's the story? What's happening behind the story? Because we, we got the sequence of events down, but how did God use, how did God turn the self-centered, arrogant punk kid into someone with a heart so large he could forgive the wickedness done to him when he had the power to do whatever he wanted? Well, somehow Joseph got to the place where he, he, he recognized he couldn't, couldn't know God's plan, but he could trust it. So let's track the journey. Maybe a better image than journey would be an anvil, because Joseph is going to be forged into a different kind of steel. And time on the anvil begins with distress, right? You feel the heat. You heat the metal. See, Joseph was at his worst when his life circumstances were at their best. When he was dad's favorite, and he had a fancy jacket, and he had everything he could want, he was intolerable. But it took a crisis to affect change in his life, being betrayed by your brothers to, to, into slavery. And so at some time on the journey south, we have to wonder, how did Joseph transform? There had to be some place of self-reflection. There's a certain degree of anger. I mean, how, how dare they? How could they do this to me? It's not my fault I'm dad's favorite. Can you blame him, right? There's that, that frustration, or maybe it's his years in prison where he thinks he's going to get out and it's two more years and it just keeps extending. But something happened, some kind of self-reflection happened where this, this arrogant brat turned into this large-hearted, forgiving man. But it's not just self-reflection. It's not self-help. That's not the point of Joseph's story. The key is what happens when we get um, his first assignment as a slave in Potiphar's house. Listen to what it says here. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. 
And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and trusted everything under his care. The key is, is that God was with him. When I was growing up, I would hear the Joseph story as a rags-to-riches story, and that is just scratching the surface. It's so much more than that. See, Joseph doesn't get to his position because of his shrewdness or his charisma or his hustle or his ambition. It was God being with him. God's the hero of this story every bit as much, if not more, than Joseph. Joseph isn't going to be made of steel. He's not going to be a different substance when it comes to forgiveness or anything for that matter, if God isn't with him. And the same is true of us. Remember, this is a worldview we're struggling to grasp this morning. We can't always know God's plan, but we can always trust it, and we aren't going to trust his plan unless we trust him, and we aren't going to trust him unless we are with him and cultivating a relationship with him and that he's with us. And so some of you, you know, you have that relationship and you get this. And, and, and there's that constant challenge of submitting yourself to the master blacksmith to do his work of shaping you. But that's the process. That's what spiritual growth is. Others, you're not sure where you are right now. Maybe you've not made a commitment to Jesus and you're wrestling with this or you're not quite sure you trust his plan. I want to, for each of you, just keep listening. Keep exploring who this God is who continues to shape Joseph in these terrible circumstances. So as the story moves on, Joseph is unjustly thrown into prison, and there he has some time to talk. And the only reason I say that is that gives us some insight into what's going on into his soul. And when we kind of enter into this battle to forgive, it's important to know we aren't some kind of robot. Like, it isn't something we just flip the switch on, right? It's, it hurts deep. Well, Joseph, he hasn't forgotten his past. Chapter 40, verses 14 and 15 this is him in jail. He says, when, it, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. The reason I bring that out is that he's not in some place where he's thinking, oh, I deserve this. You know, this, is, this is what I deserve. This is, this is just. This is fair. No, he recognizes this isn't fair. This isn't just. He's recognizing his pain and the harm that's been done to him. He's not some kind of stoic here. But at the same time, he's not paralyzed by it. He doesn't dismiss the evil of what's been done to him as something that's insignificant, but he's not going to wallow in his victimhood either. So by God's power, he uses the gifts he's given, God's given him to interpret these dreams and to be used of God in that place. But that doesn't mean what happened didn't hurt that it didn't leave a mark. He's using his gifts by God's power right where he is. And so God's working on his heart and he's forging him, but he's doing it honestly. He's not smoothing over real pain with some veneer, but he's submitting himself to God and letting God do his work of healing and forge his character to be that different kind of steel. And eventually Joseph is remembered. He's able to use his gifts in Pharaoh's court and he's raised to the position of power. Now what I love about Joseph's story is that it's, it's tremendous and it's almost unbelievable, but it's so believable. Because we're getting the highlights here, 
But up until he gets to Pharaoh's court, it's been 13 years. 13 years of slavery or imprisonment. I mean, and, and those of you who are, are traveling the road of forgiving something particularly painful, you know this, right? When, when the pain is deep, this takes some time. It's not something you just flip a switch on. It takes time, and God knows this. That's why he gave us, one of the reasons he gave us Joseph's story, I think. We can't always know God's plan, but, but we can always trust it, even if it takes a while. And God's okay with it taking a while. I'm grateful for ministries like Celebrate Recovery, for our counseling ministry with Ron. Those are opportunities to help us when things are taking a while to work through that stuff. But this still isn't the end of the story. Joseph encounters his brothers. He's overcome with emotion. I mean, can you imagine the mix of emotions that came over him? I mean, no wonder he lost it. I mean, first the grief. Think of all those missed years, all those family reunions and time together with those you love. Never get those back. Anger, anger's even, rage. How could you do this to me? It's all brought back. Pride. I mean, do you guys remember that dream I had? You guys seeing how this is working out here? Just an explosion of different emotions inside of him. And that's how forgiveness is. There's, there's so much tied into it. It's not just a logical rendering of things. And I don't know where Joseph made the turn, but I think there's one more interesting note here. He may be willing to forgive, but he's not going to go into this blindly. Benjamin is his brother from the same mother. The others are from other mothers there. And Benjamin doesn't make the trip down the first time. And so Joseph is pretty clearly going to make sure they didn't pull this junk again. I need to see proof of life on the little guy. I need to see him before you guys get anything from me again. He, he was firm with them. And then eventually it happens. They come down, the revelation, all of that. We can't always know God's plan, but we can always trust it. And this is the truth we need to grab hold of. If we want to be made of that kind of steel, that different substance, and be able to forgive. So how do we navigate this? Well, Joseph gives us some good examples. Just really quickly, don't, don't brush it under the carpet and say it doesn't hurt if it hurts. That we need to recognize that pain. But of course, we also need to remember that something bigger is going on. That in this pain, we can't always know God's plan, but we can always trust it. And so, so there's comfort in that. That, man, this hurts, but God wants to do something in this. We also can follow Joseph's example by setting some boundaries. You don't, you don't have to be some kind of doormat. You don't have to continue to endure abuse. Forgiving doesn't mean we let people continue in their sin and enable them in their sin of harming us or others. We need to set some boundaries. And then we need to forgive. Release that right to be angry, to hold the grudge. I heard a quote, I wish I knew where it came from, but I guess there's an internet for things like that. But the idea is that Bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And I think that's always been such a great image for me. We need to release it. We need to let it go. And then eventually open that door to relationship. And, and as I say that, those words stick in my throat. Because I know what some of you have endured. And I can imagine what others have. And it just seems like after all that we've gone through, it just seems like that's too big of an ask. And it is, it's a huge ask, but it's not really an ask, it's an expectation. So how do we get through it? 
we can't always know God's plan, but we can always trust it. And, and we can trust it knowing that God is shaping us through this. So I have a little poll for you guys. So raise your hands when appropriate. Who wants to suffer? Okay, it's a good sign that no one raised their hands. Who wants to be mistreated? We'll dial it back a little bit. Still none, okay? Who wants to be like Jesus? Okay, that's pretty good. So we want to be like the Jesus that left the glory of heaven to dwell among a rebellious humanity. We, we want to be like the Jesus who healed people and yet so many still refused to believe he is who he says he was. We want to be like the Jesus who was ultimately rejected and murdered by those he loved unconditionally. That's the Jesus we're talking about, right? See, we want comfort and we want ease and Praise the Lord, heaven will come someday and everything will be set right. But this is what we want now. And yet, we want to be like Jesus and you can't get here from there. That there's some time on the anvil that will shape us and it's miserable that it has to come through people sometimes. But we can't understand his plan, but we can always trust it. See, Jesus wants to make you like himself. That's his design. That is his purpose. He's raising his hand for you as well. But it doesn't come. It doesn't really happen without some time on the anvil. And time on the anvil stinks. Let's be honest. But it's part of his plan. And sometimes it comes through circumstances. It comes through disease and heartache and natural disaster and that kind of stuff. And sometimes, painfully, it comes through people. And we can't always understand that plan, but we can always trust it. And I understand that doesn't take away the pain, but it can settle us in the knowledge and a hope and a resolve to know that this stinks, but God's in here with me on this. Like Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He wasn't abandoned in prison. That's where he, God's presence was with him. It's the same with us as we're wading through this junk in our lives. So let him minister to you in the struggle knowing that he's up to something bigger than you can possibly imagine. And that's a huge hope to hang on to in the midst of the pain. And then finally, we can look at the cross. We've been harmed, but, and, and we don't want to minimize that, but we've also done our share of harming. We've, we've sinned ourselves. There's an uncomfortable parable in Matthew 18. You have to read it on your own, but the point of it basically is this, is that we, we've sinned against God far more than anyone could sin against us. And he can forgive us, and he has enabled us to forgive others in light of that. And is it easy? Of course not. The best things in life never are. But God is at work in forgiveness in, in a unique way. And he's shaping us in it. And we're on that anvil in the process, and we just need to remember that, that God, what do you want to do in me? and through me, through this. We can't always know God's plan, but we can always trust it. And when we do, and when we act on that, the world's going to see that we're a different kind of steel, a different kind of substance. And hopefully it'll be that one that we're forgiving, but also those who are looking on from the outside. I'm always stunned by people of great forgiveness who have had to deal with incredible betrayal, and they have my utmost admiration. Forgiving is costly. 
It means absorbing some of the cost of, of what caused the pain. It may mean you end up shorted some way, financially or emotionally, or you suffer some kind of injustice. Jesus suffered as well. He suffered his ultimate injustice at the cross. And with that, he cleansed our guilt. He lifted us out of our shame. But it was costly. It was something we can certainly never pay back. And so we don't want to forget this. That's why we celebrate communion each month is that we want to tie this together and we want to remember this. And so Paul Lacombe, one of our elders, is going to lead us in communion this morning. But in preparation...